0: Hear now the word of God. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Cynchrea he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills, and he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths on our hearts this morning. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we declare our need this morning. We declare our own neediness and insufficiency before your perfect, pure, and powerful word. Would you send your spirit so that we can have eyes to see and ears to hear marvelous things from you today? It's in Christ's name that we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. Back in November of last year, there was a young man and a Christian missionary whose name was John Allen Chow. He was killed as he approached North Sentinel Island in the Indian Ocean. And he went there specifically to share the gospel with the natives. And he was on the beach. And as he was on the beach, he greeted them and was shot. And he was killed. And they killed him with arrows, bows and arrows. John Chow gave his, his life for a noble cause to bring Christ to people among whom Jesus had not been named. They needed to know who Jesus was. This was a group of people that needed the name of Jesus, And from a gospel perspective, this is an island of people who desperately needed to know who Jesus was. But I think from a world perspective, a sociological perspective, these people are so fascinating because here they are. They're living in the year 2019, and yet this tribe of people is completely cut off from the rest of the world with basically no connection to the rest of us. The closest they ever got was looking in the sky and seeing satellites or seeing airplanes pass overhead. And we live in this world of modern conveniences like air conditioning and vehicles um, and even modern weapons like guns. And yet they still hunt with spears and arrows. And so there's this sense in which this tribe of people on North Sentinel Island live in a time warp. It is the 21st century, and yet they live like it's the Stone Ages. Their knowledge sort of stops at a certain point, and it has never moved past that point. And in our passage this morning, we meet two types of people, both of whom are also living in a gospel time warp. They are living after Jesus' death and resurrection, and yet they only know about Jesus from before that time. They know of Jesus from the ministry of John the Baptist who didn't minister in the wake of his death, burial, resurrection or the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so these people who are students of John the Baptist have deficiencies that need to be corrected. And so the first figure we meet in our passage is a teachable preacher. That's what I'm calling this first point, a teachable preacher. And his name is Apollos. Apollos has introduced to us For the first time in the passage, he is an Egyptian Jewish believer who is from Alexandria. Alexandria is a city that's on the coast of Egypt. At one time, it was one of the great cities of the world. It was home to the greatest library on earth and a massive cultural center in the Roman world. The text tells us not only was he from Alexandria, but it actually describes him as a speaker. And specifically it says he was an eloquent man. That's what the ESV calls him. It calls him an eloquent man. And I think this is very interesting because Paul actually says he is not eloquent. He personally is not eloquent. If you look at Paul, he says in 1 Corinthians 1.17 that he says he did not come with words of eloquent wisdom lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So isn't it interesting from uh, the perspective of someone who is a public speaker, uh, Apollos and Paul are on very different ends of the situation. Because Paul's gifting is in gospel preaching, but not necessarily in public speaking. Which might mean that he was a Solid preacher in terms of the content and he may not have been very interesting to listen to He certainly has a lower opinion of himself as a preacher Now I think sometimes we confuse public speaking And gospel preaching and we think if somebody is good at one then they must necessarily be good at both But I actually think we do confuse the two Uh, Given the choice there are many Christians. They would rather hear an interesting preacher than a faithful preacher Someone who is a good public speaker is not necessarily a faithful preacher. Um, Paul was faithful. Paul was faithful, but not necessarily eloquent or what we would think of as interesting, perhaps. Um, he didn't always get rousing responses to his messages. And Calvin has a reflection on Paul's Lack of public speaking abilities. He says that this is actually on purpose. He says God intentionally made sure that the man that preaches the gospel for him, the most important evangelist in the history of the church, is not a good public speaker. And this is what Calvin says. He says the Lord wanted his chief apostle to lack this gift so that the power of the spirit might be clearer, might, might be clearer in his homely speech. He was given just enough eloquence to proclaim the name of Christ and the doctrine of salvation. And then Luke tells us this. Not only was Apollos an eloquent man, but Luke also says he was competent in the scriptures. Competent in the scriptures, which is always a desirable trait in a preacher, right? You don't want a preacher to not know how to handle the Bible. Now, if you turn on the TV, you will see there are very engaging speakers in churches who, and churches who are willing to listen to them. And they, the preachers are dynamic and they're interesting and they're exciting, but they wouldn't know their Bible if it smacked them in the face. Um, and I've gone to these sorts of churches where the minister gets up, he reads the text, and then he talks about the thing he's more interested in for the remainder of the time. Um, That actually will draw crowds, crowds that aren't interested in the Bible. And they may even physically grow a church, but they're actually a curse on any church where the members are sinners who need the gospel. That's another way of saying they're a curse on any church. This isn't exactly Apollos, though. I don't want you to think I'm equating Apollos with unfaithful ministers no apollos is is eloquent and he's competent with the scriptures he's the whole package but he does have a problem i howard marshall says apollos has a garbled understanding of christianity i love that that's a phd that wrote that (laughs) a garbled understanding of christianity Um, and he seems to have an incomplete knowledge of Christian essentials. Luke tells us that he knew only the baptism of John. Uh, Recall this now. John died partway through Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, John died before Jesus died. John died before the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, before the coming of the Holy Spirit. John functioned as a forerunner. He lit the way for Jesus, and, and he praised Christ And he told his followers that they should follow Jesus too. That was his function. He was a forerunner. And so uh, that means that his, his teaching is scripturally informed. Apollos knows what the scriptures teach because John the Baptist was someone who quoted from the Bible. He taught the Bible to his followers. He emphasized the Old Testament when he talked about Jesus. But one of the things we also see here, then, is that Apollos' teaching is incomplete. Because if his knowledge, if Apollos' teaching is limited to the earthly ministry of Jesus, and it was all that John knew within the lifetime of Jesus is what Apollos is teaching, then he is missing the essentials of the gospel. He is missing the purpose for which Jesus came, which was to die for his people, to rise again for his people, to send his spirit into the hearts of his people. And those are massive, massive holes. And yet Apollos doesn't know the whole picture. He doesn't know all that's happened. He doesn't know about these crucial aspects of the Christian faith. And yet he's enthusiastic. Think about this. Apollos... He didn't even know the full story, and yet he's diligent to tell people about Jesus. What kind of excuse do we have when we actually do know the gospel thoroughly, but we're bashful to talk about him? See, the more we know, the more we understand what God has done, the more eager that we should be to share what God has done. And Apollos doesn't have all the information, and yet he has the zeal that would make any of us envious. Now, maybe you've known people who they're very enthusiastic, but they're lacking in knowledge. Um, That is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, As long as someone is teachable, as long as someone is humble, as long as someone is ready to learn and receive new things and admit they still have something to learn, that's okay. That's okay to be enthusiastic and zealous and excited, and yet uh, maybe you are missing information because you can always learn more. James Montgomery Boyce relates the story of a monk named Thomas Bilney during the 16th century. And Thomas Bilney uh, heard the gospel and was converted, and he was determined that he would share the gospel with a fellow monk, and his name was Hugh Latimer. And Latimer was a brilliant man, he was a bit of a genius, certainly among the monks he was known for his intellect, but he didn't know the gospel. And like Apollos, he had great wisdom, he had great gifts, and yet he was missing something. And listen to how James Montgomery Boyce relates what happened next. He says, No one thought very much of him, but Bilney was converted, and he wondered how it might be possible for him to bring the gospel to Hugh Latimer. Bilney thought that Latimer would be a tremendous force for the Reformation in England if he could just hear the gospel. So Bilney prayed about this, and he finally hit upon an idea. Priests were required to hear those who wanted to confess their sins. So one day when Latimer was serving in church, Bilney went up to him, tugged at his sleeve, and asked Latimer, Would you hear my confession? And Latimer indicated that he would. So they went into the confessional, and Bilney confessed the gospel to Hugh Latimer. And he told him how he was a sinner, how he was unable to save himself by his own good works, And how Jesus had died for him and how now by faith the righteousness of Jesus had been imputed to him apart from good works. That is what he confessed to Hugh Latimer. And in that way, Latimer heard the gospel for the very first time and was converted. It was a very important moment in the English Reformation. Now, the problem, of course, comes when you have someone who is missing information And yet they are sure-headed and unteachable. And maybe you've known people like this who were so confident, but they were absolutely unteachable. There was nothing you could tell them. There was nothing you could do to give them more information. And it's frustrating because you wish they would just close their mouths a bit and open their ears a bit more. And open their minds a little bit. Apollos is enthusiastic, but he's also humble. When you see the kind of enthusiasm that someone like Apollos has, you really don't want to squash it. You really don't want to frustrate it. So what do you do? You encourage him. You affirm him. You help him learn what he needs to learn. It is a problem That Apollos knows the sacrament of baptism, but he doesn't have the true teaching that needs to come along with it. So he knows what baptism is, but the baptism he knows is not really Christian baptism. And so Priscilla and Aquila hear him speaking. They see the things that he's missing. And in the text, it tells us that they, they take him to instruct him. And in the Greek, it says they took him to their home. And so they don't do this in public. They don't, they don't question him in public. They don't embarrass him. And Calvin points, points out that this is a teachable man. This is a man that's willing to learn. He's willing to meet with this couple and learn from this couple, including the wife in their home. And the text says that they taught him, plural, they taught him. Now, here's the question. Is it unbiblical for Priscilla to instruct Apollos. Well, the Bible does does say that women may not hold the office of elder. It says they may not hold the office of deacon and that they may not exercise authority in the church, but what we see here is nothing like that. This is informal instruction outside the ordinary worship of God's people. And so in other words, Priscilla has something to contribute and Priscilla should be allowed to do so, just not in public worship. And Paul talks about the reasons for that in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But listen to what Derek Thomas says about the importance of women to the church and in Paul's ministry. Derek Thomas says this, Paul quite frequently applauded the role that women played in his own ministry. Euodia and Syntyche contended at his side in the cause of the gospel. He lauded Mary Junius, Tryphena, Tryphosa, and Persis for their singular aid. Paul also commended women for teaching children and urged older women to instruct younger women. None of this suggests that Luke is talking about some office that Priscilla held. He is simply making the observation that she was a godly, educated woman who had a clear grasp of the gospel and desired that Apollos come to a similar understanding of it. I can just say from my own personal life and personal experience, some of the most important And formative work that God did in my heart was done by couples who were willing to invest in me. As a teenager, I spent a lot of time in my pastor's home uh, around the dinner table with him and his wife. And you know, it's funny. I think this is true of, of pastors and their wives generally. The pastors preach so much that when you meet them in their off days, they don't have a whole lot to say. They get everything out on the on Sundays and on Wednesdays, and then they have nothing left for the other days of the week, oftentimes. And so it was a lot of times we would sit around the table and I would hear more from Becky Miller than I would hear from John Miller. And they were a blessing to me, and God used them to increase my zeal, increase my joy, increase my sense of the importance of God. And so one thing, and, and God used other couples as well in the future. You know, when we... Uh, when we were early on getting ready to come to seminary, we had a family in our church and they spent time with us and they let us spend the Lord's Day in their homes. And the husband and wife would sit there and they would just talk to us about the joys of the Lord's Day. And I didn't see the Lord's Day as a joyful thing back then. I saw it as a burden. I saw it as God stealing stuff that I could do on other days. And keeping me from being productive. And this couple, God used them to show us that, no, 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 the Lord's day is a blessing. Let us show you how. Let's model it for you. And so for, for us as a couple, for me personally, the ministry of couples to me has been incalculable. And so the encouragement I would make is, especially if you're an older couple that I would say invest in younger and in, in younger Christians who need encouragement. You know, are you spending time building up these younger Christians that need to see you? They need to see you modeling maturity. They need to see you modeling the Christian faith. Are they getting that opportunity? Apollos has found a couple that's willing to invest in him and show him the full message of Jesus. And, and Apollos is eager, eager to hear it. He wants to hear what they have to say. We need to be teachable. And this isn't just a message for preachers. This isn't just a message for those who are teachers in the church. This is a a message for all Christians. We need to be teachable. Are we always seeking to be learners? Do we see ourselves as learners? Do we think of ourselves as learners regardless of our age? See, we're not all that different from Apollos. We need to grow in the knowledge of God. We need to grow in the gospel. Are you really willing to say that you need nothing more and that your knowledge of God is full and perfect? Is there nothing more for you to learn? I hope not. Even people who have been in the ministry for decades need to grow. Even people who have been Christians for decades need. And years and years need to grow still. There is always room for us to improve our knowledge of the gospel. And actually, we will see that when we open ourselves up to being educated and being taught and learning more, that the church will be blessed. Because that's what happens here in the passage. So first, we see the teachable preacher in the time warp, Apollos. But the next thing we see is an incomplete baptism. Uh. See, this other group is in a similar position to Apollos, right? They are disciples, as Luke describes them, but we quickly find out that they aren't actually disciples of Jesus. They're disciples of John the Baptist, which isn't the same thing. So Paul arrived in Ephesus, and he asks them if they've received the Holy Spirit. Um, We have no idea why he asks that. We don't know if he sees something in their lives that doesn't seem right, that seems amiss. We don't know why he asks the question, but when he asks them, he finds out they don't have the Holy Spirit. In fact, they don't even know who the Holy Spirit is. This is why I think it's very indicative that they baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because he notices, based on the fact that they don't know who the Holy Spirit is, they must not have even been baptized. And he's right. Um, they don't have the Holy Spirit, just like Apollos. They know John's baptism. They've been baptized with his baptism. And we saw that this means that the message of John has spread to them. But the message of the life, death, burial and resurrection of Jesus has not come to them. And yet they've been baptized. So, see, I want, I want you to, to understand this. This is not a matter of ceremony. This is not a matter of getting the ceremony right. Uh, The issue is not that they didn't pour the water on their heads the right way. The issue is not that they didn't completely submerge them either. Um, The issue isn't that the wrong person did the baptism. The issue is the baptism they received wasn't Christian baptism. It did not come with the teaching of the gospel. Now, the text itself says these people are disciples, but as Paul spends more time with them, he learns they are disciples of John. They are not disciples of Jesus. They have faith, but they don't have faith in Christ. They need to know Jesus, and they need the message of the gospel. Now, Calvin says, we're we're thinking about the sacrament here. You might say to yourself, but they've received the sacrament of baptism. But Calvin says... The purpose of a sacrament is to initiate us into a particular doctrine or establish the faith we've embraced. And so that means that we can't separate the sacrament from the true teaching and preaching of the gospel. They have received the sacrament, but they haven't received the truth that makes the sacrament meaningful. They haven't received the spirit because they haven't received the truth that the spirit comes through. So the idea of the Spirit coming regardless of what is taught is just mistaken. Um, there is this magical view of the sacraments that exists out there. Uh, the, the, this idea that, that sacrament is just a matter of pouring water or it's just a matter of dunking someone in water. But if that's all that baptism was, if all baptism is, is water going on somebody's head, then we would be baptized every time we take a shower. The thing that differentiates baptism from just the pouring of water is this. It's the faithful, true proclamation of the word and joined with the sacrament that makes baptism real. And this, by the way, is part of the reason why it's invalid for someone to baptize their own children or serve the Lord's Supper in their own home. Um, I have heard tell in the not too distant past of people who are... Members in a Baptist church, they've heard the gospel, and they've actually been persuaded, not only of the gospel, which is crucial, but they've been persuaded that their children should be baptized. But they don't want to join a Presbyterian church, and so they baptize their own children. And so I guess the father of the household takes the child and pours water over their head and says, now you're baptized. That's invalid. Why is it invalid? Why is it illegitimate for someone to take it upon themselves to give the sacraments in the context of their own homes? Well, it's because the sacraments are so closely connected with the faithful preaching of the word and the presence of the congregation, the presence of God's people. And God has entrusted the elders of the church with that important task. And so that's why uh, in our church, it's the teaching elder who administers the sacrament, which we'll do next week, Lord willing. Because he is the one who labors in the word on a regular basis, week in and week out. It's not as though this person has a magical power that someone else doesn't have. But it's because the sacrament is so tied up with the teaching and the preaching of the word. It's so connected with the truths that it proclaims and represents. And we see that here. Uh, These people had the outward appearance of a sacrament. They had the pouring of water. But they didn't have the proclamation of the full gospel. And so what is the result? The result is that once they have the whole gospel and once they receive the true sacrament, the Spirit comes and shows them precisely what they needed all the time. And what they needed was what the Spirit gives, which is the real, true presence of Jesus Christ. Now, the thing that ties both of these events together, whether it's Apollo's, And his need for a fuller gospel. Or whether it's these people in Ephesus who need to know more than just the baptism of John. The thing that ties them both together is that they needed the whole counsel of God, not just part of it. Apollos needed to know that there was more to the kingdom of God outside of the message of John the Baptist. And the disciples in Ephesus, they needed the same. These are all well-meaning people... These are all people who love God, but they need more than just to know that a promise was coming and a Messiah was coming. They needed to know he's here now. And one thing that is always a danger is that we might be tempted to take that glorious truth for granted. We might be tempted to be so used to hearing that Jesus has come that we forget Jesus has come. He died for our sins. He was raised up by the Spirit so that we could be raised up. And He didn't just rise, He sent His Spirit to live within us, to dwell within us, because that's what we need. And now, look, I want you to see what happens to the church that's ready to be taught. It's a church that's blessed. A church that's ready to be taught is a church that's blessed. Because what happens in the text, what happens when Apollos receives his instruction? The text tells us that when he arrived in Achaia, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. See this? Because Apollos was ready to learn, he became a blessing to others. What about the Christians in Ephesus? They heard the full gospel of the message of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, the coming of the Spirit. They received the Spirit, and the church in Ephesus was blessed. The full gospel is a blessing to any church who hears it. God has been gracious to us. We've heard that full message. And we hear it often, I hope. But may may we never ever forget that there are many out there every day who are dying to hear this word. And for us, it may have become old news, but it is not old news. Again, there are people who hear that message for the very first time all the time around the world. This is not old news. This is good news. And we need it every day. And we need to grow in it as much as possible. Let's pray. Father, you love us so much that you sent your son not just to die for our sins, but also to live. To live a perfect life. The perfect life that we as sinners did not live and could not live and cannot live. You sent him to lay that perfect life down for us. You sent him to be that perfect sacrifice that we needed. And you raised him up as well and seated him at your right hand. We thank you for the full message of the gospel. And we ask that this would never be old to us. That we would always live with joy in the knowledge that as those who have been baptized into Christ. That you have set your seal of love upon us. Not because there is something magical about the water but because there is something saving about your word. We praise you and thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.